Okay, ready to go again. Everybody enjoy their mini vacation. Hopefully you didn't get flooded too much. Okay, I'm down in York and we didn't get things that bad, fortunately. But I know some places up here, in fact, the place we were looking at when we moved here, the other place I was looking at was in the Middletown area. And apparently their schools are still closed and bad. So I'm kind of glad we didn't. <laughs> glad we, I have the extra drive to York. So Now, if you, if you got on WebCT at all, I did post up there that the exam would be Wednesday. So if you're expecting the exam today, you don't have to worry about the exam today. The exam is still on the same material, chapters 0 through 2, that we covered. So everything we covered through last Wednesday, I'm not adding any material to it. For, although I'll have covered all of chapter 2 after this. And then I have adjusted, so I adjusted that date. I adjusted the homework date as well. I didn't tell you this. So homework is not due on Friday. It's due on Monday because we've already covered, we should be through all the chat. We should be through most of it by Friday. I should be through enough of it that you could do the homework. So you should be pretty good there. So homework is not due Friday. It's due Monday instead. And the quiz, the second quiz, will not start until the, I'll put it up Wednesday and make it available Wednesday through Tuesday this week this, of this one. So, so you want to note those dates. And I did not change the date for the first article, which is now coming up the 23rd, which is a week from Friday. That shouldn't have been affected. That's not going to judge by our schedule on this. Yes? Yeah, I'm just looking for something from an, like an astronomy or science magazine. So don't, don't go to Time or Newsweek or something. Can you from the NASA website? If you can, but make sure it's a full article. A lot of theirs are like they'll do a news thing on this, and it's a real short clip. I'm looking for something that's a four to five page magazine article. So it's fine. If you're not sure, email me a link, and I'll, tell, I'll look at it. And I'm not going to make you be surprised and say, no, wrong. So, you know, go ahead and do that first. So, all right. So, so I did change. Those first three dates are changed. And what I'm going to do today, I was going to do the lab today that we were going to do on Friday. But my office is down there, and they unplugged all the printers and everything. And so I don't have the lab printed out that I was going to do when they closed campus on Wednesday. So we're just going to skip that lab for now. I don't know whether we will make up this day or not, these two days or not. So that's college will tell us whether we're making them up or not. So right now I'm going to go on that we're not making them up and just going to work through. If we have an extra day at the end, then we'll have an extra day and you know, we can do one more lab or something since we've lost a lab there. Um, so that's all. But I, don't, I don't know. They'll probably, they may want to wait and see if we get snow in October or something and want to try to make it up. You know, it's sort of like last semester if you were here. We made up the two snow days we made up. They were scheduled to be made up. But then all that time we lost for the flooding, if you had class and flooding, the water main break when we had no water pressure for a week. We didn't make those up, so I don't know. I'll let them decide. We'll just, we'll just be here what day we're supposed to be here. So, so that's what we have. But I said, if you do have questions on your article, if you're not sure, you know, you're welcome to email me a link for it. If it's from Astronomy and Sky and Telescope, just email me the date and pages. I can go look it up. So you don't have to you know, scan the article and send it to me or anything. But you know, Sky and Telescope, Astronomy, Discover are all real, have real good articles on it. OK, questions on that? No, OK. Let's do our picture of the day then for the day. Looks like a desert on the Earth, doesn't it? Desert seen on the Earth? It's actually the surface of Mars. So that is taken from the 
Opportunity rover, one of the two rovers that landed on Mars, and the only one that's still active. The other one got stuck and ran out of power and died. So this one is still active and still moving after about four, I think it's about four years, four or five years now. So it's still moving slowly across the surface of Mars and it's robotically controlled. So it's actually coming to observe this rock, which was one that astronomers were interested in looking at. And it, where they're at right here is at the edge of a big crater. So you're looking right towards the edge of a crater that had occurred probably a billion years or so ago. And Mars being a lot like the moon doesn't have weather, doesn't have a lot of weather or anything. So the things stay, you know, a billion year old crater on the earth, you don't see. A billion year old crater on the moon is nothing. And even on Mars you can still see those. But this rock was interesting. It's a good sized rock. Now you don't really get a sense of scale here. They said that's about the size of a coffee table. So it's a good size a good sized hunk of rock and what they found out when they studied it, and that's the nice thing about sending this rover up, is that it can go and it can take a sample of the rock and it has equipment to analyze it. So it can actually study. It can actually study the rock and learn something about it instead of just looking, there's a nice pretty rock. That's it, right? So it can actually study and it found out that it has a lot of zinc. So this has a higher concentration of zinc than a typical Martian rock would. Now why is that interesting? Well, maybe it tells us something about the meteorite that hit this a billion years ago. Maybe it tells us something about the composition of Mars in this specific area. We don't know yet. This is again, a lot of these pictures, we're looking at brand new things. So this was something that's been done in the last, let's say when this was taken, chanced upon a few weeks ago. So we're talking within the last couple of weeks that this was to this picture was taken. So we're not talking about something that's been looked at for years. This is something astronomers are still studying. So they're still just getting the results from what this rock is. And what the rover is going to do then is go around the rock and probably look at some of these others and test, test them and get some ideas as to what's going on. Maybe what this meteor was, was like that formed this crater, uh, say several, about a billion years ago. But the thing I like to point out is that it doesn't really look like that different than, I mean, you could imagine that being out in the desert somewhere on Earth. I mean, see a little jackrabbit hopping through, you know. It doesn't look that different. And we'll, when we go through our quick section on the planets in this class, you know, we'll look at that too. The surface of Venus, surface of Mars, they don't really look that different than the Earth as long as you're looking in a very desolate area, you know. Obviously, if you look out here, it doesn't look any, Venus and Mars don't look anything like that. No trees, no buildings. But if you go out to the middle of the desert someplace, it might not look all that different than this. So it's sort of, sort of the common, uh, commonality between those, these, these types of planets. All right, questions? Questions? No, we're ready to go. We want the exam instead? No? Okay. No. Slideshow from current. I was going to go back a little bit. These first two slides, and this is we did this last time. I was just going to go through them one more time. This is part of the exam. So just to remind you. And then after I, because Kirchhoff's laws were what I finished up with last time, I was just going to go off through it one more time just to review it. Because that will be part of the exam. But Kirchhoff's laws, there were three of them. And they said, common theme, right? Kepler had three laws, Newton had three laws, Kirchhoff has three laws. Common theme in astronomy. 
inside. Three, three groups of three laws. But the first one says that a luminous solid, liquid, or dense gas produces a continuous spectrum. So that's the full rainbow. That's everything. So if you have a solid, a liquid, or a dense gas, and it's heated up, it'll produce a continuous spectrum. So an example would be an old, regular old-fashioned light bulb. The filament inside, as you heat that up, that filament gets hot. And if you were to take your little spectroscope like we looked at in lab and looked at that kind of light bulb, not these ones, but look at an old, you know, an old-fashioned filament light bulb, then you would see a continuous spectrum. You'd get a complete spectrum from red through violet. If you were to look at the sun through a spectroscope, you'd get a pretty much a continuous spectrum. Of course, the sun has an atmosphere that throws it off a little bit, but anything that is solid, liquid, or a dense gas, the sun would be on the dense gas side of that, essentially. Sun isn't solid, it's not liquid, it's really a very, very dense gas. But those type of objects produce a continuous spectrum. If we look at a hot gas that's at lower density, that produces an emission spectrum. That's what we did in lab. We had those tubes, you looked at them with your spectroscope, and hopefully everybody saw, you know, saw the nice spectral lines. So if we saw a continuous spectrum, or sorry, low spectrum, low density hot gas. So there's not a lot of gas in there, it was low density, but it was heated by the electricity going through it. And that gave us the emission spectrum that you sketched for lab two weeks ago. Our last lab, two weeks ago now, right. And then finally, if you take the continuous spectrum, so you take this source, you take that light bulb, you take the sun, and you put a cool, thin gas in between it, between us and the sun, then we get an absorption spectrum. So then we would see absorption lines. So instead of bright lines like we saw when we looked at the hydrogen tube here in class, you would see the continuous spectrum with those same wavelengths disappeared. So you'd see you know, red through violet, but you'd see, that bright, you'd see a dark spot at that bright red line where hydrogen would be. So you'd have a big, that chunk is taken out if it was hydrogen gas. And again, either of these two, these two are important because these tell us what the, what the object is made of. And that's very important in astronomy. You know, we just looked at an example for our picture of the day where we can actually go and we took a sample of a Martian rock. So we can tell what it's made of. Almost everything else in astronomy, we can't do that. We have to depend on the spectrum to tell us what it's made of. So something that has a continuous spectrum tells us nothing. You know, we don't know what it is that's hot. It's just something very solid that's hot. Could be lead, could be iron, could be carbon, could be hydrogen, could be anything. It's going to produce the identical spectrum if it's solid, liquid, or dense gas. So if you compress hydrogen hard enough and heat it up, it'll produce a continuous spectrum. But you won't know that it's hydrogen just looking at it. There's no way to tell for this first law. These two, where you get the emission lines, that's the important ones because that's where we can actually learn what things are made of. So we can actually learn what the sun is made of. We can actually learn what the galaxies are made of. And in fact, this is how we found, we discovered one element in the sun before we even knew of its existence on Earth. Looking at the spectrum of the sun, there was a set of lines. Remember we looked at that last time? We looked at that gigantic spectrum I showed you of the sun that took up the whole screen. And yeah, I know all those lines there. You couldn't figure out which was which. But 
there were some lines that they couldn't match to anything that they knew. You know, we knew what hydrogen gas looks like because it's on Earth. We knew what carbon and oxygen and I mean we knew what everything else looked like. But there was an element that we found that was only we had not found yet on Earth. And actually a very common element called helium. Helium, Helios is named for the sun. It was discovered in the sun before it was found on Earth. So helium was actually discovered through this process in the sun, how it got its name, before we discovered it on Earth. So not one of the real odd, you know, elements down there, you know, europium or something way down there that's, you know, but a regular, common, everyday element. You know, fill up the kids' balloons with helium. Okay. Same thing here, just in a picture. This is, this is where we finished up last time. If we look at just that hot source, just at the sun or just at that light bulb, and we send it through the slit, here's your little spectroscope device that we used last time. Goes through the prism onto the continuous spectrum, and you get a continuous spectrum. So if you're looking at just that hot source, that's all you're going to see is a continuous spectrum. If you look at just a gas cloud, again, you're looking at it through the slit, the prism or your spectroscope is there, you see an emission spectrum. So you see just those spectral lines of that specific element, whatever makes up that gas cloud. So whatever this is made up of, if it's hydrogen, you'll see the hydrogen lines. If it's helium, you'll see the helium lines. More likely, it's got hydrogen and helium and carbon and oxygen and 50 other elements, and you have to decipher what exactly it's made up of. But astronomers can also use those lines that they see and depending on how bright and how strong the lines are, they can tell you how much of things are there too. So it's a lot of information that we can get just, again, we're just looking at the light coming from that cloud. But not only can I tell you that there's hydrogen there if I see hydrogen lines, but if I look at a star I can tell you how much hydrogen there is, how much helium, how much carbon, how much oxygen. So looking at the strengths of the lines tells us some, can tell us about the exact composition. And finally, that's looking at each of the two individually. If we look at them together, so you have your hot source and you have a gas cloud in front of it. You can think of this as the sun and the sun's atmosphere. So if you're looking at the sun's surface through the atmosphere, then we get an absorption spectrum. The sun would be producing continuous spectrum. Its atmosphere would be taking out all those exact lines depending on what elements it's made of. So if the sun's atmosphere were only made up of hydrogen, you would see absorption, you'd see the bright red line, and you'd see those lines down towards the blue and the violet, and that's all you'd see. If the sun were made up of just helium, you'd get just the helium lines that we looked at. If it were made up of just neon, you'd get just neon lines. So again, just as a review of these last two slides, just to review Kirchhoff's laws. Now that is covered on the exam. Everything else I cover from here out will be on the next exam. <laughs> so your quiz, they'll be, they'll be included on the quiz, which is what, chapters three and, oh, chapters two and three. So chapter two we're finishing and chapter three we're doing, we'll be doing. And we'll be done with by that time, okay. So th this will be on the quiz. So the quiz will cover all of chapters two or three. It's just the exam that I cut off where we finished last Wednesday, which was right about here. So now then we're going to go on. Now some of this will be a little bit of a review because Professor King talked with you a little bit about this when we did that lab on spectroscopy and looked at all those elements. But essentially what comes up is that 
we have to come up with a model of the atom to explain why we only get certain amounts of energy. I mean, I've told you that we are, that there are, that if we look at hydrogen gas and we excite it, we're only going to see those couple lines. But why does that happen? So we're going to look at here as a model as to why it happens. And again, it's a very simplified model, but it works to explain what happens. And what it turns out is that for each atom, and we're looking at hydrogen here, hydrogen has one proton and one electron. But for each atom, there's only very specific states that the electron is allowed to be in. So an electron can orbit in this state, which we call the ground state, or it can orbit in this state, say called the first excited state. Now there'd be other states as well, maybe further out. But the idea of this, of the Bohr model, says that you can orbit here and you can orbit here, but you can't orbit anywhere in between. So it would be like putting a satellite in orbit around the sun and saying you can orbit at the distance of, Mer of Mercury or the distance of Venus or the distance of Earth, but you better not go in between. You're not allowed to be there. And that's the same kind of thing. So the electron can be here, and the electron can be here, but it can't be a little bit inside this. <coughs> and this corresponds to a certain amount of energy. So the energy difference tells us how much energy there is between those two states, and that tells us how much energy we can emit or absorb if the electron moves between those two states. So the electron jumps from one to the other. If it gets excited, it gains energy and moves to a, lar a higher excited state. Doesn't like to be there. Electrons, atoms don't like to be excited. They like to be in their ground state. So as soon as it gets there, you know, milliseconds later, boom, it's back down to where it was. Okay. So there's different levels. Now a little more exact is that there's really an electron cloud. They don't or electrons do not orbit the way a planet orbits around the sun. So they don't have, they don't just sit there in a nice, you know, circular or elliptical orbit around the proton. They actually orbit in what we call an electron cloud. So the orbit is actually the average distance of where the electron is. Electrons and other subatomic particles have all sorts of very very interesting laws that they have to follow. They're quite different from normal matter. And one of them says that you can't know exactly where an electron is. So we can't pin it down. I can pin down the location of you know, Mars. I can tell you where it is. You know, we can look it up and find out where Mars is. We can find out where Venus is. I can tell you where the moon is you know, today. Just set, right? A little bit ago because it's about full moon. But an electron, you can't tell exactly where it is. So it's actually it's more of a probability field. And again, I'm not going to go into the details of this, but just want you to understand that I'm giving you a very simplified model. It's actually a lot more complicated than, than what I'm giving you on the previous screen. But the electron, so the electron can average in this area or it can average in this area. But again, it's still not going to be in between. The average distance is going to be the same. It's either going to be in this cloud or it's going to be in this cloud. And that's what we're looking at is the energy levels. So it gets a lot more complicated, and it gets even more complicated because I'm looking, you're looking at them two-dimensionally. And actually, they're in three dimensions. So instead of being a ring, it's actually a sphere. 
So it gets even more complicated and let's not even go into, you know, talk about carbon which has six protons and six electrons. So you have six electrons in different orbitals. It gets a lot more complicated. So I'm looking at just hydrogen to give you an idea of how this works. I'm not expecting you to be able to understand the details when you get into, oh, do uranium, right? 92 electrons. And all sorts of different orbitals. And, uh, Okay, but what happens? This is the more important part. Again, we're going to go back to hydrogen here. And we're going to go back to the simplified model that says, you know, the electron's like a planet going around the proton as the sun. So we're using a very simplified model. But it works to explain what we need to, what we need to understand for this, even if it's not really what happens. So what happens in here, the idea is that if you haven't, hydrogen atom in its ground state. That's where it wants to be. You know, so anytime you have a hydrogen atom sitting there all by itself, it's going to be in the ground state. If you give it some energy, so if you excite it enough and send a photon in with just the right amount of energy, you can jump it up to the first excited state. So it absorbs that photon, it takes that energy. The energy can't just disappear, you've got to conserve energy. So it can't just go away, it has to be there someplace, and it's gone up one energy level. So it's excited the atom. So now you have an excited atom here. And as I told you before, that atom doesn't want to be excited. It wants to be back nice and calm like it was in the first place. So it almost immediately sends that photon back out. So it sends out a photon with exactly the same wavelength. So it absorbs a photon, gets excited, and re-emits the photon. So you look at that and you say, what's happening, right? What's the big deal? It absorbed the photon, it re-emitted the same photon. What's going to happen? Why is that any big deal to us? The difference is that this atom, once it gets excited, it doesn't know where that first photon came from. Okay? Photon may have come in from the left. But that excited atom doesn't know, so it sends out a photon, but it can send it out in any random direction. It can send it out back where it came from. It can send it out in the same direction it was going. In that case, what is the big deal? It just would have kept going. You wouldn't notice the difference. Or any random direction in between. So that's how we can get things like absorption. If you're looking over here, and you're looking from this direction through a cloud of these atoms, all those photons coming, some of them are getting absorbed. A lot of them are getting absorbed by these hydrogen atoms. They're all getting re-emitted, but they're getting re-emitted in every direction. So some of them are going out that way, some are going that way, some are going, few are going this way. But you're going to see a lot less of that type of light coming through. Crash. Okay, try again. There we go. Let's go. There we are. Okay. Now the other thing it can do, again I said there's more than one energy level. So I said this gets more and more complicated. And again, we're looking at just hydrogen. We're not looking at helium and carbon and all that other wonderful stuff. But what if you have a little a photon with a little more energy? And instead of exciting it just to this first state, it gives enough, it has exactly enough energy to excite it to the second state. Well then you can do two different things. Ultraviolet photon excites hydrogen told you, it doesn't want to be there. It's going to go back down immediately. It wants to go right back down to that ground state. But now it has two paths. 
it has two different ways it can go. It can jump straight back down like it did up there and give off an ultraviolet photon. Or it can jump down the ladder. It can jump down one energy level and one energy level. So it could give off two photons. So we have certain amount of energy coming in, exact same amount of energy coming out. Same type of photon. Or you have a certain amount of energy coming in. Again, you have to have the same amount of energy going out. So these two photons energies will add up to what eventually went in here, what initially went in. So you get an ultraviolet photon from the first excited level to the ground state. And you get a visible photon <coughs> going from the second state to the first state. That visible photon is the one you saw two week, a week and a half ago now when you looked at the hydrogen tube. That red, that red light was the transition from this state, from this second excited state to the first excited state. That is that red line that you saw when you looked at the hydrogen tube. So that's exactly what you were seeing there. You were seeing hydrogen being excited and then as it cascaded down through some of the electrons jumped this, this jump down. And of course there would have been ultraviolet there. You know, If your eyes were sensitive to ultraviolet you would have been able to see the ultraviolet lines too. But all we can see is what comes in the visible. And then that's sort of what this image is showing you. This image is showing you the red glow of the hydrogen gas. And that's what you're seeing. That's this visible photon. That's what we see when we look at a lot of images and when we look at the nebulae, when we start covering that section, we'll see that a lot of the hydrogen gas is red and a lot that red is simply that red line of hydrogen. So a couple different th ways th things can happen. You can either have direct, that's just jumping straight up and straight back down to where it started. And all that does is change the direction of the photon. It absorbs it for an instant and lets it go another instant, but it, change, it might send it out in a completely different direction. So it, it changes its direction. Or it might change it into two different photons. Or if it went up three levels, three different photons, four levels. You know, you could get all sorts of numbers. There's all sorts of combinations that you can get. You know, if you can jump, you know, imagine this hydrogen could have, te could have ten energy levels. And you could get a photon jumping from the eighth level to the third level or the seventh level to the sixth. There's a lot of different hydrogen lines that can occur. The primary visible ones are the ones that we've already looked at. Okay, so here comes a little bit more of the comp just to review the little more of the complicated. But the absorption spectrum, again, what I was talking about the last time is when, is when atoms absorb that amount of energy they want. They only want specific amounts of energy. You know, that hydrogen atom wants that red photon. It loves that exact frequency of red light, 656.3 nanometers, something like that. So, I mean, it wants that exact frequency. If it's 2 nan nanometers more or 2 nanometers less, it doesn't care. It doesn't see that light. It just goes right through. But it likes that exact, exact energy of light, and if it gets it, it will absorb that and it will then re-emit it, but emit it out in random directions, and we see an absorb that's when we see an absorption spectrum. Now multi-electron atoms make it even more common. This is what I was talking about. You know, we're doing a very basic one. We looked at hydrogen. We said hydrogen, it can go up these different energy levels. But what about carbon with six? Carbon has six electrons in different orbits. 
and each of those electrons has different energy levels, it gets even more complicated. And the other thing that can affect things that occurs in astronomy is ionization. Ionization is if you strip an electron off an atom. Now, when you strip an electron off hydrogen, it doesn't do you much good because everything's gone, right? You strip an electron off hydrogen, what's left? Anyone? Anyone? Just the proton at the center? Right? I mean, you strip the, there's no elect, if the electron's stripped off, there's no electron to jump those energy levels in hydrogen. But in something like carbon, if I take one of these electrons away, I now have a completely different spectrum. So carbon has one spectrum. Ionized carbon with one electron gone has another spectrum. With two electrons gone, it's different. With three, it's different. So carbon can then have a different spectrum depending on how many electrons have been stripped off of it. And when we look at things like the upper solar atmosphere, it gets very hot and you can have a lot of elements that are, you're not looking at the neutral element, you're looking at things that have good numbers of electrons stripped off. And again, you have more spectra to look at. So sort of, again, it's making things more and more complicated. We gave you the very simple view last time. You know, yes, we can look at those lines and tell exactly what it is. But you have to know all these different spectra. So when we looked at that gigantic spectrum of the sun, some of those elements were ionized because the sun's atmosphere is hot enough to strip electrons off some of the atoms. Some of them are neutral. So it changes everything. There's so much more, that, more to it. And again, you could go into much more detail. You could go into uranium with 92 protons, 92 electrons, and 92 orbits. And then you could do each ionization state, once ionized, twice, three, up to 91 times ionized. Very, very complicated spectra. Again, some of those will not normally occur, but overall there's a lot of different things that can, that can happen in this. Now to make it even more complicated, I know it gets worse and worse. Aren't you glad this wasn't on the exam, right? But again, I want you to have the basic idea. I don't expect you to calculate or figure any of them out. I want you to have the basic idea of how the spectrum forms. This might look a little familiar, this bottom one here. That's the hydrogen spectrum you looked at. So you might not have gotten all this down here, but you saw a bright red line and you saw a couple lines getting down towards the blue and they usually fade off into the ultraviolet, into the violet. But that's what you saw. So you saw this spectrum. This spectrum up top is also hydrogen. That's hydrogen as a molecule. So hydrogen that's loose, hydrogen likes to bind together. So two hydrogen atoms like to bind together. Just like the oxygen you breathe is not molecular, uh, is not atomic oxygen. It's not one oxygen atom, it's two oxygen atoms together. Well, hydrogen likes to combine the same way. So if you look at molecular hydrogen, you get this spectrum. Not near as simple, right? You like that nice little hydrogen one. It was nice and easy. There's only a few lines to worry about. Molecules actually get a lot more. And even for the simple, that's a very simple molecule. Molecular hydrogen has two hydrogen atoms. So it's only got two electrons. That's only two electrons doing all that. All those different lines. But molecular hydrogen is actually common in the universe. Not in things like the sun. The sun is too hot and breaks the molecules apart. But in some dense clouds where stars form, molecular hydrogen actually is visible. 
and can be seen. Usually we see it through, not through visible, but through radio emissions. But it does. It gets the molecular spectra get much more complicated than the atomic spectra. And again, I'm not asking, I'm looking just to remember that that's the basic fact. You're not looking for details as to, I'm not going to ask you where are the specific lines. In fact, I think the only line I keep coming back to and mentioning for you is this hydrogen, hydrogen one, and just because you'll see it so many times. Okay. Last thing that won't be on the exam, or this exam at least. I should say this exam. Exam two, it's fair game. The Doppler effect. The statement of the Doppler effect says that if you're moving towards some source of radiation, the wavelengths seem shorter. If you're moving away, they seem longer. Now, you're more familiar with this in an everyday setting in terms of you know, an ambulance passing by. If you're standing on the street and an ambulance or a fire truck or a police car comes by, you hear the change in pitch. Right? It gets higher and higher as it's approaching you. And then as it passes and goes the other way, what happens to the pitch? It, goes, it drops. It goes much lower pitch. So you can hear, you hear, you hear that. It does the same thing happens with light. So if you are moving towards a source of radiation, if you're moving towards a light, it's going to look bluer <coughs> than it would otherwise. So if I put a light bulb up and I walk towards it, it's going to look a little bit bluer. Now the speeds are extremely high that are required to see this. I mean, you don't, you know, you, it happens for any, wa any wavelength, any, it happens for any motion, but you wouldn't be able to see it. So for example, you can't use the effect that you were driving towards the green light, or so, driving towards the red light, but it was blue shifted so it looked green. And tactically, if you were driving at about, what is it, it's a little over half the speed of light, it would do it. But, so you might get out of a, you know, might get out of a running the red light ticket, but that would be a heck of a speeding ticket. So probably not worth it. But it would happen. If you were traveling at that, at that fast, the red light from the light would turn green or faster, it would turn blue. But it takes an incredible speed. Now this is the equation. You don't need to worry about it. If you're right, you can write it down if you want. You don't need to worry about the details of that. I don't believe I gave, I'm, you, I won't give you a qu test question on it. I really want you to know two things. First of all, if it's moving, if we're moving towards the object or it's moving towards us, the shift is towards the blue. If we're moving away from the object or it's moving away from us, the shift is towards the red. So that's one thing together. If we're moving towards an object, the light from it seems blue or if it's moving towards us, doesn't matter which is doing the moving. And if we're moving away from it or it's moving away from us, it's red. That's the first thing. The second thing just is what the equation is telling you, but I don't need you to go through the equation to do it. Just means the faster you're moving, the bigger the shift. So if I'm moving towards something very slowly, it shifted to the blue, but not very much. If I'm moving towards it even faster, then it's going to be shifted more. The faster you're moving, the bigger that shift is. And we'll come back and talk about this towards the end of the class when we talk about the universe. Galaxies are moving away from us. So if you measure almost every galaxy in the universe is moving away from us. So every single one then has a redshift. Almost. There's a couple that aren't. But almost every single one is moving away from us. And the ones that are furthest away are moving away the fastest. So it's actually part of the expansion of the universe. We'll come back and mention the Doppler effect again. But that's what I want you to know about it. 
Redshift means your, the object is getting further away from you. Blue shift means the object is getting closer to you, regardless of who's doing the moving. And the bigger the shift, the faster the motion. So that's what you need to worry about. Don't worry about the specific equation for this class. Okay. Will this work now? Yes. So here's the example of it. And again, it depends only on the relative motion. So it, does, it doesn't matter who's doing the moving. And that come, some of that comes back to Einstein. You can't tell who's moving. So if two objects are moving, you, know, you can't tell whether this object is, here's the source at rest. You know, who's doing the moving here? Well, here's the object coming towards you. So if it's just here, and you look at all these waves, everything looks the same. Right? If you drop a pond, drop a stone in the pond and throw a stone in the pond, it gets a nice concentric set of waves and nice and even. And that's what you're getting up here. If instead you're on something that's moving through the water slowly, if you move too fast, everything gets bunched up, but the same idea. If you're on a boat that's moving, the waves in front of you are squished together. Right? The waves behind you are spread out longer and longer as you bounce to it. Because you're moving, each time you move, you're creating a wave here, and a wave here, and a wave here, and a wave here. But you've moved as you created each wave, so the crests in the direction of your motion are all squished together. Again, think about that as a water wave. Here, they're further apart because you're getting further away from them each time. So this observer is going to see a longer than normal wavelength and a redshift. This observer is going to see a shorter than normal wavelength or a blue shift. Now, when we call them redshift and blue shift, we mean that they're shifted towards that edge of the spectrum in which the red end is way down in the radio and the blue end is way up in the gamma rays. So you could have a redshift of an object that is, if it's emitting infrared light and you redshift it, it might appear blue. So it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean it's the color it's shifting to. It means it's the direction on that entire electromagnetic spectrum. So if you had radio, oh, infrared, visible, ultraviolet, x-rays, and gamma rays. So redshift means it's towards this end. So this is what we're calling red. And this is blue. We do it because we, it's instinctive the way we talk about the visible spectrum in red through blue. But you can shift towards the red. can be shifting you know, well beyond the red. It can be shifting well beyond the blue, depending on what you're actually move, what's actually moving. So I don't want you just getting thinking that when you're red shifting, you're always shifting towards longer wavelengths. You're not necessarily shifting towards red color. Because we're looking, you are if you're in the, just the visible part of the spectrum. But when you're looking at the entire electromagnetic spectrum, then you can be shifting, you know, you could be red shifting into radio waves. You could be, or if something's moving really quickly towards you, you could be blue shifting towards gamma rays. Okay. Is that? And it, does, it moves the entire spectrum. So here's an example. The middle bar here, again, this should look relatively familiar. That's that hydrogen we looked at last. We looked at a week ago Friday, or two weeks ago for next Friday. If the object is moving towards us down here at 600 kilometers per second, 
every single line is going to be shifted towards the blue edge of the spectrum. So everything is shifted in that direction. If the object is moving away from us, then everything gets shifted towards the red edge of the spectrum. So every single line gets shifted. So you can imagine when this adds another complication in our trying to determine what things are made of. Because now we used to know where this line was, right? 656.3 nanometers. But if the object's coming towards us, it might be at 655. And if it's going away from us, it might be at 657. Well, that's not too bad, but as you get to galaxies that are moving away from us very, very quickly, you can actually shift this whole line way down into the infrared somewhere so it's not even visible. Can't even see it in the visible because it's been shifted out to the infrared. In some distant galaxies, you do not see that. When an ob object in the 60s, there was an object that was stu being studied called quasar. You may have heard of the names. It's a very energetic source and they could not identify the spectral lines. So they had trouble identifying what the spectral lines were. They were, in, they were in the visible part of the spectrum, but they weren't anything that astronomers were familiar with. And eventually what was found out was that they were hydrogen. They were hydrogen lines, but they weren't the regular visible hydrogen lines. They were the ones that normally occur way off here in the ultraviolet, invisible to us. But these objects, these quasars, are moving away from us so fast that that ultraviolet light is shifted all the way out of ultraviolet and into the visible portion of the spectrum. Now we'll come back and talk about that more later, again towards the end of the class, but just as another example that what this Doppler shift does. And again, it shifts the entire spectrum, not just a portion of it, it's everything is shifted. So it can, it'll, move, it'll move everything in the, in the spectrum. Questions? 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 Okay. No? 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 Okay, let's go to our summary then. We're done with chapter two. And again, just some definitions. The beginning part of this is covered, it will be covered on the exam, the last couple parts on the formation of spectral lines and the Doppler effect will not be. So, waves, we talked about the definitions of the waves, we talked about what the period was, the amplitude, the wavelength, so you should know what those basic terms are for waves. So what is, the, what is the period, what is the wavelength, what is the uh, amplitude? We talked about how we created electromagnetic waves by accelerating charges. And again, we'll look at some of that again later in the class. The visible spectrum that we see, the rainbow, is all different wavelengths of light. Everything from red through violet. But that's only part of the electromagnetic spectrum, which also can include gamma rays, x-rays, ultraviolet, to the higher energy side. And infrared and radio waves, sometimes they put microwaves in there too. They're sort of included in the radio waves or they're put separately, but they're towards the lower, lower side. Say so come and keep them separate is nice because you're familiar with microwaves, right? Use a microwave oven, is, that's how it cooks. It sends very short energy radio waves through the food to heat it up. Now, what did we learn about the electromagnetic spectrum? We can tell the temperature of an object, so we can use the black body radiation. I told you we can't learn about the composition, right? So we can't figure out the composition of it by its black body radiation. 
But if we look at that entire spectrum, if there are no spectral lines, we can still tell the temperature of the object. So we can still learn something about it. You know, without taking a thermometer to the star and finding out how hot it is, I can tell you exactly how hot that star is. Just by measuring its spectral, just by measuring its spectrum. So those, and then on the next, I think we have, yeah, this is the rest that would be covered, is the spectroscope. We talk about the spectroscope, you use the spectroscope. Little, little cheapy ones, but you use those. And it splits the light into its frequencies, or into its wavelengths, however you want to look at it. So it takes the light and spreads it out into the rainbow. Now if you had one that worked a little bit more detail, you could, have actually, you could actually split it out and you can see even more detail. So you could actually, if you look at, for example, if you were to look at the sun with that right now, those little ones we had, you'd get a continuous spectrum. You wouldn't be able to see the absorption spectrum. It doesn't have enough resolution to be able to see that. But if you looked at it with a higher quality one that had more detail and spread it out a little bit more, you could actually see the absorption spectrum of the sun. And then we finished up, for the exam part, we finished up with Kirchhoff's laws. The continuous spectrum is emitted by a solid, a liquid, or a dense gas. So something solid, light bulb, surface of the sun, those are emitting a continuous spectrum. We learn nothing about the composition of those, but we can learn about their temperatures. We can tell you their temperatures. A hot gas gives us the emission spectrum. That's what we've been looking at on these last few slides. We've looked at all the emission spectra. We talked about how they were created. And that tells us what the gas is made up of. So if we see just those hydrogen lines, we know that that gas is made up of hydrogen. If we see just helium lines, we know it's made up of helium. If we see a big jumble of lines, we know that it's made up a lot of elements and we really need a big computer to decipher what exactly it's made up of. As we say, we looked at that nice one of the sun. A lot of detail there, a lot of different elements, but we don't necessarily, can't just look at it and unless you're familiar with spectra, you won't know exactly what's there. So you won't on the exam get that nice spectra of the sun and say, point out five lines and tell me what they are. I, won't do, I wouldn't do that to you. And finally, if we take that continuous spectrum, so this same source here, surface of the sun or the light bulb, and we pass it through a thin gas that's cooler than that, it gives an absorption spectrum. That gas, depending on the element, they're the same. It'll get exactly the same lines. So we'll either get the lines in emission if we're looking at just the gas, or we'll get the lines in absorption if we're looking at the gas, or they're looking at the light source through the gas. But they'll be the same. We'll see that bright red line of hydrogen, for example. And finally, last slide. Spectra we can explain using atomic models. So we talked about the Bohr model where we have very specific orbitals. So exact places where the electrons are allowed to be. And that explains why we get these specific lines. If the electrons could be anywhere, you wouldn't get a line. Because then the electron could be, you could get not just that red line, but you could get a little more or a little less energy. Because they are very specific orbitals, this model works to explain why we get spectra. So that's the Bohr model of the atom. And as the atom, the electron jumps, jumps up, it absorbs light. So it absorbs energy, it jumps to a higher energy level. And it absorbs light, so we get absorption spectrum when it absorbs it. When it gives it back out, we get an emission spectrum. So it sends light back out into the, 
into the universe. And all that is jumping between the orbitals. So it can give, as we looked at, we looked at an example where it can give you one energy level and absorb that red light of hydrogen. It can jump right back down and give you back that red line of hydrogen. And again, not on the exam Doppler effect or the, this, but maybe for the quiz. First of all, the Doppler effect changes the frequency, the wavelength of the radiation that we see. So how fast you're moving towards an object, the bluer the light is going to look or the further towards the gamma ray edge of the spectrum. The further you're, faster you're moving away from an object, the redder it's going to look. Or again, further towards the radio end of the spectrum. And the Doppler effect only depends on the relative speed of the source and the observer. So it doesn't matter who's doing the moving. So if I'm moving towards the stoplight, it doesn't matter whether I'm doing the moving or it's moving towards me, the exact effect of the Doppler, the Doppler effect is exactly the same. Same in the universe. If, I'm moving, if Earth is moving towards the star or the star is moving towards us or some combination, we can't tell the difference. It's only the relative speed. It only depends on the, relative, the combination speed. So if we're doing the moving or it's doing the moving, we get the exact same effect. So that finishes chapter 2. So that is the first chapter for the quiz. We'll do the start chapter 3 on Friday. So we'll get through chapter 3 by Monday. So you'll, have, you'll be through it all before the quiz is done. And the exam again, chapter 0 through 2, but only through the Kirchhoff's Laws section. So if there's no other questions, I will see you Wednesday for the exam.